You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Hey, everyone. Disturbed is off this week due to travel. But, of course, I'm not going to leave you empty-handed. So I'm bringing you a special episode from my friend Avery over at the Chiller Queen podcast. And this was her very first episode overall, and first in the true crime series. So give it a listen, and if you like what you hear, make sure you go follow the Chiller Queen podcast in your favorite app. You can find more links and information in the show notes. And Disturbed will be back next week with a brand new, regular episode. And with that, let's hear from Avery. Hello, friends. I'm Avery. Welcome to the Chiller Queen podcast. This is where I like to dive deep into some of the most mind-blowing stories that will send chills down your spine. Each week, I will be dropping a new episode that will be part of a four-part series. The series collections will cover true crime crazy conspiracies, and bizarre true stories. But I'm not going to bring you your typical run-of-the-mill story everyone has heard of. Oh no, I'm going to bring you the really bizarre, mind-bending stories that mess with your head. So if you're anything like me, and you enjoy things that make you say WTF, consider subscribing to stay up-to-date on all the latest episodes That will leave you wondering, just what kind of planet are we living on? Each series will be a particular genre, which I mentioned previously, and will include four episodes per series before rotating to the next genre. This first series will be all about true crime, cannibal themed. This is definitely not a family friendly show or for the faint of heart. So buckle up wherever you are listening. And let's dive in. Slaughterhouse worker Catherine Knight became the first woman in Australia to receive a life sentence without parole after she decapitated and cooked John Charles Thomas Price. This is the story of Catherine Mary Knight. Most lovers' quarrels end with an apology. But for Catherine Knight, murder and mutilation were the end result. Not only did this Australian abattoir worker stab her lover with a butcher knife at least 37 times in February of 2000, but she then chopped him up, cooked him, and prepared to serve him to his own children. Even before this grisly killing, the life of Catherine Mary Knight was marked by violence and sexual abuse that only hinted at the bloodshed to come. 
Maybe you're asking yourself how someone could do something so heinous. Let's first take a peek into Catherine's childhood and her past to see if we can find some answers. Born on October 24, 1955 in Tenterfield, Australia, Catherine Mary Knight was the product of a scandalous affair between her mother, Barbara Rowan, and her father, Ken Knight. Catherine's father, Ken, was an alcoholic who openly used violence and intimidation to rape her mother up to 10 times a day. Damn. Barbara, in turn, often told her daughters intimate details of her sex life and how much she hated sex and men. Why would you do that? What a weirdo. Knight's claims she was frequently sexually abused by several members of her family, which continued until she was 11 years old. Although they have minor doubts about the details, psychiatrists accept her claim as all her family members confirmed the abuse did happen. Catherine was, by all accounts, a pleasant girl who experienced uncontrollably murderous rages in response to minor upsets. Oh yeah, she sounds very pleasant. When she attended Muswell Brook High School, she became a loner and is remembered by classmates as a bully who stood over smaller children. A little bitch. She assaulted at least one boy at school with a weapon and was once injured by a teacher who was found to have acted in self-defense. By contrast, when not in a rage, Knight was a model student and often earned awards for her good behavior. Uh, yeah, I'm just between my murderous rages. I'm just a pleasant model citizen. <laughs> okay. On leaving school at 15 without having learned to read or write, Okay, wait, hold on one second here. How do you get through school up to age 15 without learning to read or write? Especially if this chick's like won awards and stuff. Anyways, she gained employment as a cutter in a clothing factory. 12 months later, she left to start what she referred to as her quote unquote dream job, cutting up the internal organs of dead animals at the local slaughterhouse from where she was quickly promoted to boning. Get your mind out of the gutter, okay? And then she was given her own set of butcher knives. Journalist Peter Lalar wrote in Bloodstain, his true crime book that covered Catherine Knight, that she loved her job so much that she hung her first set of butcher knives above her bed just in case she ever wanted to use them. Can you imagine you bring a guy to your house Things are getting hot and heavy. You guys take it to the bedroom and you're like, oh, don't mind my butcher knives staring right into your face above my bed. I just really love my job. Can't wait to get up and go to work tomorrow. Oh, baby. While working in the butcher shop, Knight met David Collette, a raging alcoholic, much like her father, who was prone to fistfights. If Collette got into a fight at the hotel... Knight would step in and back him up with her fists without fail. In Aberdeen, she was renowned for offering armed combat to anyone who upset her. Knight married Colette in 1974 at her request. With the couple arriving at the service on her motorcycle with a very intoxicated Colette on the back. 
I guess we know who wears the pants in the relationship, don't we? As soon as they arrived, Knight's mother Barbara gave Colette some advice. The old girl said to me to watch out. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose up there. I mean, that's how I imagine Colette talks. So that was just my impression there. (laughs) You're welcome. Now, on their wedding night, she tried to strangle him. Knight explained it was because he fell asleep after only having intercourse three times. Apparently, she was told her mother had sex five times on her wedding night. So she thought that was the standard. Wasn't her mother getting raped 10 times a day, though? Either way, that's, uh, that's a little nuts. That's a little extreme. The marriage was particularly violent. And on one occasion, a heavily pregnant knight burned all Colette's clothing and shoes before hitting him across the back of the head with a frying pan, simply because he had arrived home late from a darts competition after making the finals. In fear for his life, Colette fled before collapsing in a neighbor's house, and he was later treated for a badly fractured skull. Police wanted to charge her, but Knight was now on her best behavior and talked Colette into dropping the charges. Oh, hell no. If that happened to me, you best believe your ass going to prison. Okay, don't put up with that shit. In May of 1976, shortly after the birth of her first child, Melissa Ann, Colette left her for another woman and moved to Queensland. Apparently unable to cope with Knight's possessive violent behavior. Hmm. Okay, yeah. The next day, Knight was seen pushing her new baby in a carriage down the main street, violently throwing the carriage from side to side. Knight was admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth, where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression and spent several weeks recovering. After being released, Knight placed two-month-old Melissa on a railway line shortly before the train was due, then stole an axe, went into town, and threatened to kill several people. Sounds like a good reason to take this chick's baby away. But that's none of my business. A man known in the district as Old Ted, who was foraging near the railway, found and rescued Melissa. By all accounts, only minutes before the train passed, Knight was arrested and again taken to St. Elmo's Hospital. But apparently she recovered, signed herself out the following day. I love how it only takes a day to recover from attempting to kill your own child and then waving an axe at people around town. Only need a day. (laughs) I'm better now. A few days later, Knight slashed the face of a woman with one of her knives and demanded she drive her to Queensland to find Colette. The woman escaped after they stopped at a service station. But by the time police arrived, Knight had taken a little boy hostage and was threatening him with a little knife. She was disarmed when police attacked her with brooms. Brooms. Are you kidding me? Brooms? So you're telling me that the cops in Australia carry brooms? 
Where are the cops? <laughs> like, do they carry guns or like, what the fuck? She was then admitted to the Morissette Psychiatric Hospital, not named after Alanis Morissette, okay? Knight told the nurses she had intended to kill the mechanic at the service station because he had repaired Colette's car, which had allowed him to leave and then kill both her husband and his mother when she was going to arrive in Queensland. When police informed Colette of the incident, he left his girlfriend and along with his mother, they moved back to Aberdeen to support Catherine. Aww, she loved me so much she was going to kill a mechanic, me and my mother, because I left her. How romantic. I think I'll go back to her. Sounds like a good plan. Knight was released on August 9th into the care of her mother-in-law and along with Colette. They now moved to Woodridge, a suburb of Brisbane, where she obtained a job at the Dinmore Meatworks in nearby Ipswich. On March 6th, they had another daughter, Natasha Marie. Sounds like a good reason to have another kid with this woman. In 1984, Knight left Colette and moved in, first with her parents in Aberdeen and then to a rented house in nearby Muswellbrook. Peace, it's been real. On to bigger and better things. I mean, I am surprised that this guy didn't leave her and she left him. Like, what the hell? Although she returned to work at the slaughterhouse, her dream job, she injured her back the following year and went on a disability pension. No longer needing to rent accommodations close to her work, the government gave her a housing commission house in Aberdeen. In 1986, shortly after her breakup with Colette, Catherine Knight jumped into a whirlwind romance with David Saunders, a local miner. You know, for how crazy this chick is, she apparently has some serious game. I mean, she's really like just cranking out the men. Knight met 38-year-old miner David Saunders in 1986. A few months later, he moved in with her and her two daughters, although he kept his old apartment in Scone. Knight soon became jealous regarding what he did when she was not around and would often throw him out. He would move back to his apartment in Scone and then she would invariably follow and beg him to return. In May of 1987, she cut the throat of his two-month-old dingo pup in front of him for no more reason than as an example of what would happen if he ever had an affair before going on to knock him unconscious with a frying pan. Now, apparently this guy stayed with her after that because in June of 1988, she gave birth to her third daughter, Sarah, which prompted Saunders to put a deposit on a house which Knight paid off when her workers' compensation came through in 1989. Would you honestly stay with somebody if they, like, killed your dog in front of you? What a freaking psycho. And I just, I don't get people. Knight then decorated their house throughout with animal skins, skulls, horns, Rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. There was no space, including the ceilings, that was left uncovered. 
sounds like a, a really lovely looking house. After an argument where she hit Saunders in the face with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach with a pair of scissors, he moved back to Scone. But when he later returned home, he found she had cut up all his clothes. Was he surprised? I have no idea. Saunders took long service leave and went into hiding. Knight tried to find him, but no one admitted to knowing where he was. Several months later, he returned to see his daughter and found that Knight had gone to the police and told them she was afraid of him, and they issued her an apprehended violence order against him. She then met a man named John Chillingworth. They stayed together for three years and had a child, Eric, Knight's first son. I don't know how she handles all these kids, like with that, like how insane she is. I want to know more about these kids and like how she treated her kids. While no violent incidents have ever been reported about their relationship, it ended after Chillingworth learned that Knight was having an affair with a man named John Charles Thomas Price. And this, my friends, is where things take an even more sinister turn. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Three AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing four one one, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. 
In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookyScienceSisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you, and stay spooky. John Price, also known as Pricey, was the father of three children when Knight had an affair with him. Reputably a terrific guy and liked by everyone who knew him, his own marriage had ended in 1988. While his two-year-old daughter had remained with his former wife, the two older children stayed with him. Price was well aware of Knight's violent reputation, and she moved into his house in 1995. Sounds like a good person to bring into your children's life. I'm just going to throw that out there. His children actually liked her. And he was making a lot of money working in the local mines. And apart from violent arguments at first, life was a bunch of roses. Well, just apart from all the violent arguments, life was great. (laughs) Okay. In 1998, they had a fight over Price's refusal to marry her. And in retaliation, Knight videotaped items he had stolen from work and sent the tape to his boss. Although the items were out-of-date medical kits that he had scavenged from the company rubbish, Price was fired from his job that he had held for 17 years. What a dirty little cunt bitch. If you don't like the word cunt, I'm very sorry, but she's a cunt bitch. That same day, he kicked her out and she returned to her own home while news of what she had done spread through the town. A few months later, Price restarted the relationship. Okay, once again, these guys just keep coming back to her. Although he now refused to allow her to move in with him. We'll just, we'll just take things slow now. If you just, you know, you can't be with me. Just, let's just have sex. The fighting became even more frequent and most of his friends would no longer have anything to do with him while they remained together. In February of 2000, a series of assaults on Price culminated, with Knight stabbing Price in the chest. Finally fed up, he kicked her out of his house. On February 29th, he stopped at the scone Magistrat's Colt on his way to work and took out a restraining order to keep her away from him and his children. That afternoon, Price told his co-workers that if he did not come to work the next day, it would be because Knight had killed him. They pleaded with him not to go home, but he told them that he believed she would kill his children if he did not. Price arrived home to find that Knight, although not there herself, had sent the children away for a sleepover at a friend's house. Nothing suspicious here. Okay. He then spent the evening with his neighbors before going to bed at 11 p.m. Earlier that day, Knight had bought new black lingerie 
and had videotaped all her children while making comments which have since been interpreted as a crude will. Knight later arrived at Price's house while he was sleeping and sat watching TV for a few minutes before having a shower. She then woke Price and they had sex, after which he fell asleep. At 6 a.m. the next morning, the neighbor became concerned that Price's car was still in the driveway. And when Price did not arrive at work, his employer sent a worker to see what was wrong. Hmm. Both the neighbor and worker tried knocking on Price's bedroom window to wake him, but after noticing blood on the front door, the police were alerted and they arrived at 8 a.m. Breaking down the back door, police found his body with night comatose from taking a large number of pills, apparently trying to kill herself. She had stabbed Price with a butcher's knife while he was sleeping. And according to blood evidence, he awoke and tried to turn the light on before attempting to escape while Knight chased him through the house. He managed to open the front door and get outside, but either stumbled back inside or was dragged back into the hallway where he finally died after bleeding out. Later, Knight went into Aberdeen and withdrew $1,000 from Price's ATM account. Price's autopsy revealed that he had been stabbed at least 37 times in both the front and back of his body, with many of the wounds extending into vital organs. Several hours after Price had died, Knight skinned him and hung the skin from a meat hook on the archway of the door to the lounge room. Frickin' kidding me. She then decapitated him and cooked parts of his body, serving up the meat with a baked potato, pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy, and placed them in two little settings at the dinner table, along with notes besides each plate, having the names of one of Price's children on it, she was preparing to serve his body parts to his children. A third meal was thrown on the back lawn for unknown reasons, and it is speculated that Knight had attempted to eat it but could not, and this has been put forward in support of her claim that she has no memory of the crime. Price's head was found in a pot with vegetables. The pot was still warm when police checked the temp, indicating that the cooking had taken place in the early morning. Sometime later, Knight arranged the body with the left arm draped over an empty soft drink bottle with the legs crossed. This was claimed in court to be an act of defilement, demonstrating Knight's contempt for Price. Knight had left a handwritten note on top of a photograph of Price. Blood-stained and covered with small pieces of flesh, the note read, Time got you back, Jonathan, for rapping, my doubter. D-O-U-T-E-R. That's how she spelled daughter. And she spelled raping, rapping, R-A-P-P-I-N-G. You to Beck for Ross, for Little Joan. Now play with Little Joan's dick, Joan Price. I mean, that's just, that's how I figure her accent is. It's just 
That'll give you that. And she's got a lot of, of spelling errors in there. I'm not even good with grammar. And I know that that ain't right. Now, the accusations in the note were found to be groundless. Despite her claims that she had no recollection of the night John Charles Thomas Price died, Catherine Knight was quickly charged with his murder. In October of 2001, her trial commenced, but it didn't get very far. For reasons that remain unclear, Knight changed her plea to guilty and the judge adjourned the case without testimony. She was escorted to prison that day, and the judge ordered that her papers be marked never to be released. For the first time in history, a woman in Australia was given a life sentence without parole. Hmm. Dang, we like give those out like candy here in America. To this day, Knight nevertheless maintains her innocence and refuses to accept responsibility for her actions. Catherine Knight has appealed her sentence before and was denied almost immediately. She is still serving her life sentence at Silverwater Women's Correctional Center. Ha ha ha. Wow, that was intense. What a psycho that one is. I think what surprised me the most about this story is how she went her whole life committing these psychotic acts of violence and repeatedly being released back into the public as if something like this was never going to happen. I mean, she pretty much has put herself in so many situations to inform people that like, hey, this girl is extremely crazy. Like, why is she out on the streets? Why does she even have custody of her children? Those are all the questions that are going through my mind as I'm reading all these stories. And it blows me away that some people can get away with a all this sh- stuff while others can commit some like stupid, innocent crime and receive an extremely harsh punishment. It just blows me away. Well, That's it for today, my friends. If you're interested in learning more in depth the story behind Catherine Knight, I have included some great books in the show notes. So make sure you check that out. And make sure to find me on Instagram and Twitter and come join the community of naysayers. If you loved this episode, make sure to give me a review. It honestly means the world to me. This is a brand new podcast. So I am interested in hearing what you guys have to say, good or bad. It helps me to make this a better experience for my listeners. And also head on over to social media and let me know what you guys thought of the episode. Use the hashtag ChillaQueen so I can follow what you guys are saying. Make sure to be nice. I hope you all have an amazing rest of your day. Stay weird, my friends. And don't forget to question everything see you next time